Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChampaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello there, I'm Chris Stashew. I'm Mike White. And this is Father Malone. And we're the hosts of the Dreams for Sale podcast, a once-a-month look at the only Twilight Zone reboot worth watching, Twilight Zone from 1985. On this episode of Dreams for Sale, we're going to be taking a look at the 18th episode of the Twilight Zone's first season. That episode is broken into three segments, Grandma, Personal Demons, and Cold Reading. So this episode aired February 14th, 1986. The first segment, Grandma, is directed by Bradford May. It is based on a short story by one Stephen King. And it is a teleplay by Father Malone's favorite, Harlan Ellison. And it focuses on a young boy who is convinced his grandmother is a monster. And Barrett Oliver is the most obnoxious child actor I've ever had the pleasure of watching anyone in. Or anything. Oh, wow. He's awful. He's not real good. That voiceover, oh my god. It's just oh, it's yeah. so grating, it completely ruins the entire segment. Completely. Oh no, uh-uh, not me. No, it still works for me too. Uh-uh. It's so bad. Like, it's shockingly bad. I liked this when I was a kid. Um, my opinion has changed over the years, but I do like the uh, source material. And I actually like Harlan Ellison's script. Uh, I'm going to lay the blame here with the direction of it who should have known better than to have that much voiceover throughout the entire goddamned episode. I mean, an occasional kid talking to himself would have sufficed. And some of the sort of uh, parents and aunts and uncles talking, uh, I thought that was beneficial for forwarding the plot. But holy God, shut the fuck up, kid. Like, you know, the best way to kill tension in any horror situation is to have a character keep talking. And this is just wall to wall. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, you know, I, Barrett Oliver, I liked him in the uh, Never Ending Story many years ago. And I think there could have been a good performance here, uh, which is why, once again, I'm going to sort of lay the blame at the director's feet. Like, you know, kid actors, you have to get the performance out of them unless they're sort of preternaturally gifted. Um, so... Yeah, overall, not great, but uh, uh, could have been worse. There's a lot I did like about the episode. Could it have been worse? Oh, yeah, so much worse. 
it could have been it could have been Little Boy Lost. Yeah. Well, at least Little Boy Lost didn't have VO wall to wall that was just just beyond obnoxious to the point where I was just watching the timer count down, waiting for this segment to be over. Yeah, but Little Boy Lost that was the only thing that it didn't have that was annoying the fuck out of me from beginning to end. Yeah, I still ended up enjoying this, and it probably is because I liked the Stephen King story so much um, from Skeleton Crew. Um, I like that it played into the uh, Lovecraft universe, that there's mentions of Cthulhu and those things, and just that, you know, the grandmother, not necessarily a monster, but more of a witch. Um, I I don't know. I liked it, uh, despite the terrible voiceover and the kind of bad acting. I mean, I wanted to like it. I, I mean, I like I like the Lovecraftian themes, like you mentioned, Mike, and... I like Stephen King for the most part, but there's something about the voiceover, and it's not something, I mean, it's pretty obvious what it is, that takes away from the episode in its entirety, the, the segment of the episode in its entirety. And like like y'all said, I mean, there's no tension, because all we have to do is listen to the kid just jabber on incessantly. He doesn't shut up through the entire goddamn segment. Uh, yeah, they, I mean, look, that is a huge failing. Uh, I agree. Uh, although, uh, I like you, Mike, I think I lean a little to, more towards uh, I, what I liked about it. I liked a lot, so I'm, uh, uh, I, I would actually recommend uh, I do want to point out, uh, being the Harlan Ellison fan that I am, that one of those voiceovers of the brothers and sisters talking was Harlan Ellison's voice. Okay, uh, I thought they, that what, it was. Yeah, like, what are we supposed to tell them? That the, uh, you know, that the, all the babies are dying again for no reason? Or, like, the last time a dog showed up with a piece of human meat in its mouth? Like, that was Harlan Ellison. So, uh, just as a fan, uh, that sort of uh, tickled my fancy there. But I also enjoyed the, you know, and this is back to the Stephen King story. Um, I think every horror author at some point or another is going to try and play in H.P. Lovecraft's sandbox. And uh, I think... As a short story, it worked better than what we got, but uh, I enjoyed this uh, uh, sort of, uh, you know, amalgam of the of the Lovecraftian mythos and uh, and this kid end up. I mean, and, you know, look, the, the ending is is really telegraphed. Uh, I mean, the fact that the kid won't open his eyes. Yeah, which is a shame because they could have just shown the kid with his eyes open in a couple of shots and then hug the mom and then open his eyes. Like, I don't know why they went for this one take kind of end of thriller uh, nonsense uh, for it. Wait, you but, didn't um, want Vincent Price laughing over the end of the episode? I actually did. I think it would have been a much better <laughs> segment if all of a sudden you just had Vincent Price's laughter. Should have been. It, it, was, it was like, what was this not the same year? The year after Thriller had come out too, so I think we were all we were all kind of waiting for his eyes to be different. Um, but, uh, I don't know. Uh, soft spot in my heart for this one. I'm not going to... Uh, I'm not going to uh, outright tell people not to watch it let's move on to the next segment personal demons directed by peter medak once again peter medak returning i think he's done a several a handful of these uh at this point it is written once again by rockney o'bannon and it stars martin balsam as a script writer who is dealing with writer's block while also being tormented by little creatures little people in hoods and masks <laughs> yeah boy boy wow another episode with some really particular performances well i have to say that 
thank goodness that the Twilight Zone and Amazing Stories and all of these things were going on at this time because it was such a boom time for little people to get jobs. <laughs> Wasn't it? <laughs> That's because hilarious. This and the next episode, we've got a lot of little people that are being employed here. Absolutely, and on Amazing Stories, and on Tales from the Dark Side, and Monsters, and whatever else is going on. You're absolutely right. It was like, well, we need we need something odd. We need something a little bit off. Uh, get us a little person. I got Billy Curtis on speed dial. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, you know, okay, let's talk about the, this particular episode. I agree with you. I think I, I was shocked. Okay, look, when I saw this as a kid... I thought it was a little slice of genius because it was about a writer uh, who's being plagued by these things. And the ultimate solution to getting rid of them is that he needs to write about them. And the guy has writer's block to begin with. The writers, the character of the writer is named Rockne O'Bannon. It turns out it was written by Rockne O'Bannon. So for my, what, 13-year-old head, I thought that was that was a slice of genius. Um, revisiting it, and revisiting it, I should say, after we spoke to Rock O'Bannon about this particular episode... Uh, even I was a little bit shocked at how one note Mr. Martin Balsam is. Uh, um, like, oh no, look at them. They're in the room. Can't you see them? Now they're coming for me. Help me. Oh, don't you see them over? It was a little, hmm, not so great. Kind of stilted. Yeah, yeah. This is the same show that two episodes ago provided us with to see the Invisible Man. And like, now we're getting (laughs) these like kind of hokey kind of schlocky performances off kilter segments that don't work very well and it's odd because it's such a it's such a there's just such as this weird disconnect with this this reboot of the show is it doesn't seem like it ever balances the episodes with serious and comedic segments it's either all serious or all comedic and the comedic episodes are then not even played for comedy. They're played straight sometimes, too. Like Tooth and Consequences, which was played completely straight in an episode that had two like dramatic segments as well. I don't understand at all. Because this, the show is all over the place in a way that it didn't need to be with its tone. Well, I mean, isn't that the nature of an anthology show, though? I mean, you're going to get hits yeah, and misses. Yes and no. We, 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 I mean, when you, I mean, it, sh- it should I, have. Would you, would you rather unifying tone, but at the same time, it doesn't need to be going from, you know, the laughing, joking numbnuts of this episode to Grandma, which is a all intents and purposes a serious episode. Right. Well, isn't Grandma first though? So we went from Grandma to this. So maybe this was meant to light, lighten the mood slightly and then uh, finish us off with just either. a pure joke. Oh, I, I agree. I think, uh, you know, well, we say this a lot about this particular series because when they took the initiative to uh, sometimes split their hour up into just two segments, sometimes three, um, you're going to get a grab bag of stories. And uh, more often than not, it while the individual segments work, um, it didn't seem like... There was any forethought to like like a DJ set, you know, like, you know, this leads to this to builds to that builds to that. It's like there isn't. It just does seem like they kind of threw it all together. It's three disjointed lines with no connecting nothing. Yeah. And it seems like they always tried to lead with the best story of the evening, which is a weird move. Like, wouldn't you want to build up to that? But I guess when you're dealing with the nuts and bolts of. Uh, television of the time you're like we 
you know, we're going to lose people in the last half hour. Let's give them something great at the start, and that'll keep them, like, when everyone's tuning into this and that other show, like, uh, at the at the half hour mark. So there might be some of that involved. I can't speak to it uh, definitively. But, yeah, I mean, overall, it, it is a weird grab bag of genres and styles uh, from episode to episode. But sometimes that weird grab bag works wonderfully. Uh, here, not so much. It was pretty painful to see this one and yeah i love martin balsam so him just being so stiff and then just can't you see them can't you see that it's like oh god enough do we <laughs> really are we, we going like, to go here we get like three scenes of that too they don't i know by the time we got to, like to his times. agent yeah like really we need to see the agent do the same thing like you know couldn't he have barricaded himself in earlier or something or something happened different but uh you know it's an interstitial one, so it doesn't have to uh, doesn't have to hit with the full force of the other ones, I suppose. But but here's the thing about interstitials: we've had interstitial segments that have been really good, and so it's almost not it's almost not an excuse. Right? No, and I, nor am I making that excuse for them. I'm I just saying, like, but I'm just saying, like, the show kind of feels like it's using these interstitials as just throwaway. Yeah, and it's a drag because some of those interstitials, like you said, some of the interstitials are my favorites of the entire series. So uh, a little disheartening that occasionally they're just like, eh, good enough. I mean, holy shit, our show is named for an interstitial. That's true. Yeah, that is true. So let's talk about the final segment of the episode, Cold Reading. So Cold Reading is directed by Gus Traconis. It's written by Martin Pascoe and Rebecca Parr. And it stars Larry Poindexter as a actor who gets a job on a radio show only to find out that what they're describing on the show is taking place inside the studio. I'm just going to come out and say it. Of the three segments on this episode, this was my favorite one. This one really felt like an Amazing Stories episode to me, actually. I can uh, see far, that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sort of traffics in the whimsy that Spielberg was trying to shepherd along there on uh, on Amazing Stories. Like, doesn't seem out of place. Uh, I mean, and it's not all that out of place for Twilight Zone necessarily either. And I don't actively dislike this one but it all just i mean talk about one note it's like okay we get it everything they're gonna say we're gonna see um and that's fine uh, i was a little confused by the floating bowl of milk at one point that uh that's the cereal it's those crisps I, you gotta eat it, them up yeah, there it is it's crunchy um i do i mean you know look it's cute i don't want to like slag on this one too badly but like at a certain point, as the actors in the room, you know what's happening. You're not going to read the next line, right? I mean, you're just not going to mention that a volcano is about to erupt or that there's going to be an earthquake, right? Even if the director's in there apoplectic and making you do it. I don't know. I might just to see what happens. <laughs> I think I'd go off script at that point. They'll go, uh, you know, uh, and then suddenly they brink struck rolled up and gave me a million dollars. All like, of a sudden, naked women started raining from the sky. <laughs> And they all were interested in me. Well, not like raining. <laughs> like raining with parachute. Oh, okay. No, you know that song, one of those kind of rains. Like with parachute and women, not men. It was nice to see Dick Sean, who of course. just overacts the best. I absolutely love him. And I think it's Joel Brooks, who um, I like him a lot, too. Um, I mean, I thought that the acting was absolutely fine in this. Um, and yeah, I, this was definitely i agree with you was the most delightful of the three and the only one that i mean it i would probably out. yeah i would 
gladly see this one again. Yeah, I think that I think that's the best way to put. It, is I would watch this segment again. I would never bring myself to rewatch Grandma and Personal Demons. I know. I, you know, here's the thing. Like you said, Father Malone, cold reading is one note, but at least it does the one note rather well. Yeah. Personal Demons, like and I said, I would... don't do their their singular notes that they have very well to begin with. Right. I do. I do wonder, and we we talk about this a lot over on Chronicles from the Crypt, um, because we tend to watch uh, two episodes per thing. So sometimes I enjoy a segment on this show only by comparison. And if like the first two sucked, and then this one was okay, then I'm going to say, yeah, this one's good. You should probably watch it. But you know, ultimately, I don't like this last one i think it's okay it's it's cute but didn't do anything for me um you know i i do is that it is yeah and that's fine and that works sometimes but that's not what i'm looking for for the twilight zone even if they're sort of wackiest i'm looking for a little bit of a bite and you know having a spaceship crash through the wall badly in the final scene isn't enough uh in this case i mean let's not kid ourselves none of these segments have a bite to them and i'm not gonna Go to bat for Grandma, which, the like we already mentioned, the twist is so telegraphed. If you didn't see it coming from a mile away, did you have your eyes open to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This episode, this episode, these three segments of this episode are really weird. Because they all really, they all fail in different directions, as it were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, right. Who's running the ship? Yeah. Philip Daguerre, that's who. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. I think sometimes you uh, got to be a little more hands-on. I'm sure there was it was no picnic dealing with Harlan Ellison when it came to one of his segments. But at the same time, like, wasn't he gone by here by by the time this aired? Like, this aired when like March or April or something? Did you say this was the Valentine's Day episode? When the Valentine's Day episode. Tell by the theme. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah, because because uh, he had quit by by now. Well, considering how... I'm sure this episode was done and, you know, in the can by then. Right, So, I don't know. So, in the next episode of Dreams for Sale, we're going to be taking a look at episode 19 of the first season of Twilight Zone 1985. That is broken into two segments, The Leprechaun Artist and Dead Run. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, Until then, where can people find you, Father Malone? Uh, you, you can always find me over on my YouTube channel, Odd 5 Films. Um, also, you can hear me over on Chronicles from the Crypt, where Chris and I discuss the television series Tales from the Crypt. What's the name of your YouTube series? Oh, uh, well, I mean, the, the, the review show is... Oh, fuck you. You know what it is. What? <laughs> Why would you even answer that question? I don't know. Oh, you know, answered it. Too. You like? You I did. About it. <laughs> you got really close. Like I thought. Oh, that's that's nice. Uh, he he wants me to mention the the name of the show because I failed to do it. But but you know what? Uh, I don't need to. Everything's good. Go over check out my YouTube channel, Ot Five Films. O u g h t f i v e f i l m s. There you go. There's tons of content on there. Where can people find you, Mike White? I'm over at the Projection Booth, which is available at projectionboothpodcast.com, and I do a few other things, too. You can find me over at the Culture Cast and the Scary Stories We Tell podcast. Those are two diametrically different podcasts. You should go check them out, though, if you're into movies and or spooky, creepy, paranormal stuff and or true crime. As for this podcast, Twilight Zone 85 on Twitter is where you can find us. TwilightZone85.com is where you can find the feed. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. 
Big thanks, as always, to Roxy Drive and Neutron Dreams for the music for Dreams for Sale. And we'll catch you on the next episode. 